girl. My wife's mom, Mary Kay, died when she was 42. Emily was 14 years old. She had uh, breast cancer at a time when doctors knew a lot less about it and a lot less what to do about it. And I know that Emily prayed for her to be healed. I know as a 12, 13, 14 year old little girl, she cried out to the Lord for a miracle that never came. And there's our tension with miracles, right? You've probably got a story just like that. A relationship that you prayed God would restore. A loved one that you prayed God would heal. A pregnancy or a marriage that you prayed God would grant you. Or a job that you prayed God would give you. And it, it just never came. Maybe someone even told you that you didn't pray right, or you didn't pray the right words, or you weren't living right. That's our tension with miracles. Of course, we've probably all got a story where we got a miracle too. Maybe it's a miracle that you're alive. Maybe you've got a story about uh, an experience that that you're like, I'm not sure how I made it out alive. It's a, it's a miracle I'm here with where I came up from or, or what, something that happened in my life. So we, we always, we struggle with this, this tension in dealing with miracles because there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason. Why did they seem to happen in Bible times more often? especially the, the dramatic ones. Why don't we see more of them today or any of them today? Or do they happen, but we just don't see them? We just miss them. Are they even still possible? What do they tell us about God and what they tell us can be possible about us? Are we going to walk on water or feed 5,000 people? The Bible is chock full of miracles, um, and we're going to look for the next four weeks at the life and ministry of Jesus, and specifically the miracles that he performed as we prepare for the Easter season. So today is our first day in this series, and I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it or you're watching. If you're brand new to Mountaintop, my name's Carter. I'm the pastor here, and we're so grateful for you to be uh, beginning this journey with us as we look at not only these four miracles, but you can also join in and read all the miracles of Jesus throughout this series on our Facebook group page, or you can sign in to get text or emails uh, and can connect that way, and we're sending those out every single day. So over these four or five weeks, you could le read through all 35 miracles of Jesus. And how many, now I didn't ask the early service this, so I'm gonna ask you, how many of you read every miracle this week? Anybody? We good? You get brownie points in heaven? That's good. You get those? That's not the way it works. <laughs> Don't you wish it was that way? That's all you had to do? But it's really cool, and a lot of them are very brief, and maybe you've read before, but it's a really great way to kind of plug in. Now, I believe uh, that uh, the, the miracles of Jesus tell us about 
who he was. They point to his glory. They point to his power. They point to his rule. They pointed to this Christ that was more than just a man. They were part of his announcement that the long-awaited and long-promised Messiah had come. And I believe that Jesus is still working miracles. But I know that he didn't work every miracle that he could. In fact, the last part of this series uh, on March 28th, uh, we're gonna do, uh, I'm, I'm gonna teach on one of the most profound and powerful stories of his miracles when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. But can you imagine how many people approached Jesus after they heard about that and asked him why he wouldn't raise their loved one from the dead? Can you imagine? Or the idea and the reality that Lazarus died a second time and Jesus didn't raise him that time. So there's a struggle, there's a try to figure out, we're, this, these are some of the, the uncertainties. We're not always exactly sure how miracles work. But I believe this, we're all currently praying for a miracle. There's something going on in our lives that we're all hoping for a miracle. I pray for one every week that my boys, rooms would be clean <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. Anybody got teenage boys? And those are scary places to go. Um, it just, Lord, but their hearts are clean and so we're grateful for that. That's enough. Uh, they're pretty good kids. Uh, but you've probably got a miracle right now that you're hoping for, that you're praying for. We've got some as a church, some big ones. We're praying for a thousand baptisms over the next 10 years. We're praying for 10,000 in worship over the next 10 years. We're praying for some big miracles at Easter, for 1,000 people to tune in online on Easter and 1,000 people to be in person on Easter Sunday. And that's pretty miraculous considering last year on Easter Sunday, we had zero people. So it seems like it would be a miracle for that to happen, a thousand each online and in person. So that's, those are some of the things we're praying for, and I want you to pray for your miracle, whatever it is. I hope you'll be praying for it through this series. But what this series is really about is what we can learn from the stories of the miracles that Jesus did in his day, in his time, and what they teach us about us. And today in this story, we're gonna look in Matthew chapter eight. So if you got your Bibles, just open them up right there and you can kind of leave them if uh, there. If you don't have a hard copy and you're here in person, take one at the bookshelves. We'd love to give you that. And, uh, or if you got your app open, you're there at home, uh, you can leave it there. This story is about Jesus calming a storm. And it speaks to all of us because all of us are in the same boat. We are all riding out a storm called 2020 that ain't over yet and it's March 21, right? I mean, like we, we're all riding out this thing, this global storm that the world is going through in this pandemic that's affected our economy, that's affected our health, it's affecting our livelihoods and it's affected our emotions and even our mental and, and a spiritual states. We're all kind of riding that in. But here's what I believe to be true, though I wish it weren't, but it is, that even besides the global storm we're all living in and, and living out, here's what I think is true for all of us. Everyone is coming out of a storm, in a storm, or heading into a storm. 
You're either coming out of a storm and you just got out of one and man, it was a relationship deal or a work deal or you're right in the middle one and you're like, yep, I'm living through it right now or you are, listen, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news or you're heading into one in a month or six months or in a year and they're not all long. Sometimes they only last a couple of days. Sometimes you have work storms that last a couple of days. Sometimes you have family storms that last a couple of days. Sometimes they last a few weeks or months. Sometimes these storms last for years. But they're real for every single one of us. And you can drive yourself crazy worrying about this, just worrying about all the outside circumstances that could happen, that might happen, and that inevitably will happen. But you and I can't control the storms of life any more than we can control the weather. The wind and the waves kind of do what they want to do. What we do control is whose boat we're in, who's in the boat with us, what's going on in our boat. So this storm that we're going to read about is a storm that happens with Jesus and his disciples in a boat on a body of water that the scriptures often call the lake, but it was really what they're talking about was the Sea of Galilee. Now, the lake was actually a better description of it because it was more of a lake than a sea. The Sea of Galilee was a freshwater lake right in the middle of the region of Galilee, Now, Jesus was raised in Nazareth, which was an inland community. His dad was a carpenter, but this happens on the Sea of Galilee, on the lake, because Jesus has been doing ministry and been doing doing miracles up on the, the, the lake region on the north end of Galilee. So, Matthew 8 begins with just miracle story after miracle story. Jesus heals a leper, which was a terrible nerve disease that affected people's skin and their limbs in that day and time. And then he moves on to Capernaum. Capernaum was Matthew's hometown. And in Capernaum, he heals a Roman centurion's servant who was paralyzed without even seeing him. The servant, the the centurion says, Jesus, if you'll just speak the word, I believe that he'll be healed. And Jesus does, and, and the man is healed. Maybe Matthew was an eyewitness to that. At this point in the story, Matthew is not one of the 12 disciples yet. At this point in the story, Jesus may only have four or five disciples. We know that there are four. He has invited James and John and Peter and Andrew, these two sets of fishermen brothers, whose dads were fishermen, he has invited them. So we know there's at least those four. Maybe there's a few more. Jesus goes from Capernaum to the hometown of Peter, Andrew, James, and John to Bethsaida, which was another fishing community uh, in the lake region. And they go to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law has a severe uh, fever. She is sick and in the bed and just at the point of death. Jesus heals her immediately. She gets up and starts serving them. And then they begin to bring uh, the demon-possessed. They begin to bring the sick to him. And Jesus begins to heal the sick and free the spirits from the demon-possessed. And you can imagine how nuts the crowd got. I mean, just think about it this. We 
have millions of doses of vaccines and dozens of locations and you can't get an appointment. They had one healer in one place. You can imagine once word got out, how big the crack, I mean, it gets nuts. And Jesus says he wants to go to the other side of the lake, presumably to kind of get some peace for some rest. Now, it doesn't say exactly what he means when he says the other side of the lake. The Sea of Galilee was about 13 miles long and about eight miles across. So they're in Bethsaida, Capernaum area. So if they take off from up here, does that mean they were taking the whole 13 miles all the way to the bottom, maybe? Or were they just going about seven or eight miles across to here? We don't know, but seven or eight miles or 13 miles is a pretty good trek without a motor. And that's the trip that they're on. That's where Matthew picks up the story in this miracle from Jesus. It's found in verse 23, and it says this. Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Isn't this the way storms always come out? Suddenly, they just come out of nowhere. Storms in life never give you a 10-day forecast with the warning that things are about to go south in your life. Don't you wish they did? They don't ever come up with a warning. They don't ever come up with just a little inkling that something's gonna happen. It just suddenly happens. You get a little pain somewhere that you haven't had a pain and all of a sudden there's a diagnosis out of nowhere. Things are going great in your relationship and then you pick up your spouse's cell phone one day and you see a conversation going on that you didn't know about was a relationship and all of a sudden there is something in the marriage that came out of nowhere. You think things are going great at the company and the last quarter sales looked great and all of a sudden you walk in and layoffs come out of nowhere. You think your kids got it all together and they're making good decisions and all of a sudden they make a mistake and you get a phone call in the middle of the night that uh, they're being detained and it comes out of nowhere. And you realize that there were some choices that went ahead long before that and that is the way storms go. They just come suddenly and you never see them coming. If they did, you'd be prepared for them. Do you remember a year ago this week? how something came out of nowhere. You remember that? It was this week a year ago, second week of March. And we had heard about this virus. It was in other countries. It was a little bit in the Pacific Northwest. But we're, everything, it was gonna, everything was gonna be okay. And then all of a sudden, just like that, the NCAA tournament was canceled. The NBA was canceled. Major League Spring Training was canceled. Movies were canceled. Concerts were canceled. And here we, we were, and we were quarantined. And the world shut down. And it seemed like it came out of nowhere. And if you had known about it, you would have done something differently before that. You would have gone to like a movie every day in February and March if you'd have known about it, right? You'd have gone to concerts. You'd have gone into Publix without a mask on and just frolicked down up and down the aisles. <laughs> you might have done something different with your money. 
You might have gone on a vacation with your family. You might have done something different with your business to prepare you for what was to come. If you knew the storm was coming, you'd have been prepared, but they never, they never tell you they're coming. They always come suddenly. And the problem is when storms happen like that, you just kind of kind of stuck. We go to a lot of football games and uh, I'm kind of psychotic when it comes to checking the weather the week of the game because I like being Mr. Prepared. I mean, I don't ever want to be caught not prepared. Do, are we going to need a sweatshirt? Is it shorts weather? Do I wear a polo? Am I going to need a little pullover? Do I need a light rain jacket? Do we need to go full on rain gear, duck boots, the whole thing? I just like to be prepared. And a few years ago, we were going to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville on New Year's Day. And man, the weather was looking great. As we, that whole week, I'm watching it, you know, right after Christmas. And oh, it's going to be nice. We're going to spend New Year's in Florida. And it's going to be warm, 0% chance of rain. What a great way to spend New Year's Day. And we, so we go down there, we get ready. And all of a sudden, the day before the game, the, the forecast just changes and just turns. 80 to 90% rain and temperatures in the high 40s and low 50s, basically the most miserable weather you can watch a game in. And we go to the game and all we've got is one of those clear ponchos they sell in the checkout line at Winn-Dixie. We were totally unprepared and we were stuck and we were miserable and you've probably got a story like that about that time you walked the dog or you went on a hike or you went for a jog or you went to a ball game and you thought you were prepared and a storm came out of nowhere and you're just stuck in it. Now the good news for these guys is at least they're stuck with Jesus. And it's almost as if Matthew goes, um, well, about that. But Jesus was sleeping. It's so dramatic, right? It's so dramatic. There was a storm and the waves were crashing over the side of the boat. Um, but Jesus was taking a siesta, a little power nap. Healing people has got to be exhausted. Man's got to sleep. Got to get some rest. He's sleeping. I mean, Jesus was have you ever thought about this? He's fully human and fully God, and his fully God self didn't seem worried enough to wake up his fully human self to do something about this storm. And I have news for you and me that it was true for these disciples and is true for us. Jesus isn't worried about your storm. Now, read that sentence really closely. Jesus isn't worried about your storm. He is not concerned with the storm. He is not fearful of what's going on around your life. Jesus isn't worried about the storm. Jesus doesn't care about the storm. Jesus cares about you. But the storm, he's not worried about the storm. But they are, and that's enough. So they come to Jesus, and I just have always thought they probably, Matthew must have left out the part where they shook him. They had to shake him, right? Jesus! Disciples went and they woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And boy, isn't that a prayer you've prayed? Come on, wake up, God, do something. 
Do something in my work. Do something in my family. Do something in my body. Do something with my kids. Do something with my parents. Do something in this relationship. Do, come, on, come on, God. Won't you wake up? Do something. Can't you see I'm drowning here? Do something in my finances. Do something in my career. Do something. So Jesus, that's probably rubs his eyes, shakes off the cobwebs a little bit. He says this. He replied, you little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now I imagine that Peter, Andrew, James, and John probably all emphatically answered together. Listen, Jesus, we hadn't known each other that long. <clears throat> Your dad was a carpenter. <laughs> you don't know much about storms like this. We grew up on the water, okay? Our dad told us not to go out in storms like this. We have seen friends in the fishing industry who haven't made it back from storms like this. If you are like to know what we're afraid of, Jesus, we're afraid of dying. We're not gonna make it out of this. We're afraid of our own demise because we, we, we know how dangerous of a storm that is. And that's us, right? I mean, you, what are we afraid of? What do you mean, what are we afraid of? We're afraid we're not gonna make it out of this. We're afraid we're not gonna survive. We don't want to die. And Jesus tells them that the answer to their problem is faith. He says that the problem isn't that the storm is so big, it's that their faith is so small. And Ken, listen, let's, let's not give the, these guys, these four guys a hard time right now because when the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat in your life, when it's, when it's storming in your life, it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to doubt. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy to say, come on, God, won't you do something? Won't you move? Won't you wake up? Won't you work in my life? It's so easy to lose faith when it's storming. I mean, it's easy to have faith when you see results. That they're going to see some results. Then he got up. And he rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Whoa. Awesome. Miracle. Water looked like glass. And they are like us. Like we would be. They're in awe. It says this. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And all of a sudden, they've got big faith. Before, eh. And isn't that how we are? What's so amazing to this to me is these guys saw Jesus heal a man from leprosy. They saw Jesus heal a Roman centurion servant just by speaking the words. They saw Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. They saw the sick and the demon possessed. Literally, like earlier that day, it was like a subtitle in the movie, earlier that day, they had seen with their own two eyes Jesus do all these miracles for other people, but they didn't have faith until Jesus did their miracle. And that's why Jesus called their faith little. 
Because often that's the problem is that we want God to do our miracle but actually before we have faith in him, before we trust in him. It takes little faith to do that. It doesn't take hardly any faith to do that. Faith would be trusting when the waves are crashing. Big faith would be believing in him when they didn't see their miracle. Jesus can calm the waves, but does he have to for you to trust him? If Jesus isn't waking up to calm the storm in your life, maybe he wants you to trust him through it. If you feel like Jesus is asleep at the wheel in your storm, maybe he is saying, I need you, I want you to have big faith through this. Maybe he's saying, I want you to stop looking outside the boat. I want you to stop looking at the storm. I want you to stop looking at the waves. I want you to stop looking at the rain. And I want you to trust in me because here's what I think Jesus wants us to believe and know. That if you are in the boat with Jesus, there's no reason to fear the storm the boat is in. If you are in the boat with Jesus, there's no reason to fear the storm that the boat is in. What matters most isn't what is going on around you, but it's what's going on within you. Jesus would say, why are you so afraid? Don't have little faith. Don't look at the storm. Have big faith. Don't trust your surroundings. Don't trust your circumstances. Don't trust the, 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 the culture of your office. Don't trust the tension in your relationship. Don't trust the struggle going on with your teenager. Don't trust the angst every time you open up social media. Trust me, trust me. Jesus can calm your storm and my storm, if and when he wants. But the miracles he does or doesn't do in my life aren't for me to decide. What I want, and do, do you want this too? What I want is when it's all said and done, when I'm going through a storm in life, not for Jesus to fix it, but for Jesus to look at me and go, you had great faith through the storm. You had great faith. Is that what you want? Or, or is this faith only, are you only gonna have faith if he fixes it, if he wakes up and does what you want him to do? Or do you wanna be a person of great faith? Some of you are going through a storm right now that maybe nobody knows about. Maybe you've gotten one of those diagnoses and you haven't told anybody. Or you're dealing with something going on with an adult child that nobody knows about. Or you, you're having a disagreement in your marriage that nobody knows about. Or you're, you're struggling with some bills that you can't pay and nobody knows about. But if you're in the boat with Jesus, there's no reason to fear the storm, the boat is in. If you're in the boat with Jesus, there's no reason to fear the storm that the boat is in. And Jesus would tell you, don't look at the storm. Don't trust in the circumstances and the surroundings. Abide in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Put your anchor in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Sit in Jesus. Find peace in Jesus. Don't look at the storms. Trust in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's our only hope. I wish I could get on the stage and preach that here's a magic formula to make your storm calm. But you know that's not true. 
but there's a word that can make your spirit calm in the midst of a storm. Jesus. And the miracle of it all is that Jesus wants us in his boat. See, he gave his life, died to forgive our sins, and resurrected to give us freedom over sins, to invite us into his boat for all eternity. And you don't have to earn your way. You don't have to work your way into it. You are just invited into it. And if you've never, ever made that decision, if someone ever promised you that Christianity and following Jesus was that you would come to him and everything would be okay, well, they told you a story. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you. No matter what you're done, you're invited into the boat. And I cannot and will not promise that there won't be more storms ahead. But I can guarantee you that you will never be alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you invite us into your boat. Thank you, God, that you give us peace that in you we can trust, we can abide, we can sit, we can dwell in you. Even when the world around us is going crazy and some of us have got some crazy worlds right now. So my prayer, God, is that we would remember that we're invited into your boat and help us, Lord, to look at you when the storms are crashing, the waves are crashing over the sides and the wind is raging. Help us to not be afraid, not because the storm isn't scary, but because we're in the boat with the one who is the Lord over the storms. In Jesus' name.